book of Romans. We will continue our journey through the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 5 this morning. We began in chapter 5. I did one message on chapter 5 in the evening, but uh, we will begin in verse number 1, and we'll read God's Word down through verse 5. Stand with me, please, as we read from the Scriptures. Romans 1, or chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, and there's that great phrase. If it's not marked in your Bible, please mark it. Justification by faith. The doctrine of salvation by faith. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein you stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And Heavenly Father, as I speak this morning on this very, very important subject, I pray that you will just open the hearts and minds of those who hear, those who watch on television and the internet, those, Lord, who are seated around me today, work in their hearts. and Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. The subject this morning is how a Christian is to face suffering and difficulty. How a Christian faces suffering and difficulty. I say how a Christian does it because a Christian does it differently than the rest of the world. The chapter here begins with the great doctrine of justification by faith that when we put our faith in Christ, God justifies us. Now, I've defined that word. It's a Bible word. I don't hesitate to use it. Many voices today are saying we need to not use these theological terms at church. But if you don't understand these theological terms and what they mean, then you can't understand the doctrine that that word represents. So I unapologetically use theological language. You know, every field has its language. And if I were talking to an airplane pilot, he'd be talking about areons and, you know, the flaps, and he'd be talking about altimeters, and I'd sound like I was speaking to somebody in a foreign language. You have to know the language of the discipline of the subject matter that you're talking about. And Christians, the only people I know of on the earth today, crazy enough to say, well, let's don't use our language when we talk to the world. The airplane pilot doesn't apologize for that. I go to a football game and they say, scored a touchdown. Somebody never been to a football game says, what's a touchdown? They They got a first down. He was penalized for thus and so. 
He uses the language of football, and to be a football fan, you have to learn the language or you don't understand what's going on on the field. And to understand the Christian faith, you have to understand the language of the Christian faith. And one of the key terms in the language of the Christian faith is justification. What does justification mean? It simply means that God, when I put my trust in Christ, one, God pardons me of all my past sins. He revokes the penalty for those sins. He forgives me. But I can't stop there because it has another whole step in justification. It's far, far more than forgiveness. Justification is God then declares me to be righteous. He not only forgives me negatively and takes away my sin, but positively he declares me to be righteous. Now, I can forgive people if they sin against me, but I can't declare anybody to be righteous. Only God can do that. Only God can justify. And we're justified simply by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing and minus nothing. That ought to be worth a good amen in a Baptist church on Father's Day. Salvation by justification through faith. And then Paul tells us some of the benefits of it there. First of all, we have peace with God. Our hostility toward God and his wrath toward our sins are both canceled once I'm justified. And then we have access to God. We can go to the Lord anytime. The line is never busy. He is always ready to hear from us as his children. Access, immediate access. And then I have, I have security. I have eternal security. And uh, you never read of anybody being unjustified. Now, it's true people can sin, and we all do. The Bible says if anybody says he doesn't sin that he, in fact, is a liar and he's deceived. So we all sin. We don't sin flagrantly. We don't sin habitually once we are saved and come to know the Lord, but we do fall into sin. No question about that. Every single one of us. And so justification means that God now has declared me righteous and he will never declare me unrighteous. Therefore, I am fit for heaven, if you will. I have an eternal home in heaven. Now, today, the subject, though, that I really want to deal with is how the Christian faith, the Christian faith enables me as a believer, having been justified, to face the difficulties and sufferings and hardships and trials of life. This is a subject you find much through the Scripture, and it's an important subject because you and I Each of us will face heartbreaks, difficulties, trials, even persecution. Keep your finger in Romans. Go to John chapter 16 with me. I want you to read the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think it'll be worth the time to turn there because I want you to see what he said about the subject, how a Christian is to face suffering and difficulty. John 16 and 33, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. You might want to underline that. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. In this world you will have tribulation. 
you'll have trials. You will suffer. You will face the difficulties of life. No question about it. And Jesus said, in spite of that, I want you to be of good cheer. I don't want you to lose your joy and lose your hope. I want you to be of good cheer, though I'm telling you, persecution is going to come for you in some form. Then in the book of Acts, chapter 14, you need not turn there. I'll just read this for the sake of time. But Paul is instructing a group of young men and young women who are converts of his, recent converts to Christianity. And he makes a statement to them. He said, through many hardships and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many hardships and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, but all people have tribulation, don't they? All people have hardships and difficulties. All people lose loved ones and grieve. All people ultimately get sick and go to the doctor. All people, uh, saved and unsaved, good and bad, have financial reverses in their life. So the Christian's not the only one. However, in the use of the words here and the context in most of these scriptures I'm going to be talking about, It's talking specifically about the pressures, the stress, the heartbreak, the difficulty that comes with serving Christ. It's talking specifically about the suffering a Christian endures because he or she is a Christian. Other people lose their husband or wife or child or parent, other people get cancer just like we do. But specifically, there is a stress, a pressure, a hardship that comes with being a Christian. No matter where you live in the world or when you live in the world, it comes with the territory, as we say. It comes with being a Christian. And when we don't tell people that, I think we fail them. And we have been so privileged in America. We have been so insulated in America from many of the persecutions and hardships that Christians down through the ages have had to suffer. So while we sit here today in relative safety and security and comfort, in the Middle East, our brothers and sisters in Christ who love the Lord Jesus every bit as much as we do, They are being beheaded. They're being imprisoned. They're being burned in cages. They're being drowned. They're having to flee their families and pack up and leave in the dead of night everything that they have and everything that they own simply because they're Christians, simply because they love the Lord Jesus. That is the kind of persecution specifically the passage is talking about. The opposition that comes from following the Lord. By the way, if you're living for the Lord as you ought to live for the Lord, if you are living for him and not compromising your faith, the Bible says all that live godly, all, A-double-L-L, all that live godly will suffer persecution. 
Now, in America, that persecution is soft. We call it soft persecution, meaning they're not going to put you in jail yet. We're not going to be burned or shot as the people in the Soviet Union were or imprisoned yet. It does mean this, however, that when you stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ, they smirk at the office. And they say little jabs about you when you're not around. There goes the preacher. They make light of you. They roll their eyes when you say, I won't be at the Christmas party because it's just a big drunken bash anymore. And that's soft persecution. It's not getting invited to the event that everybody else gets invited to and you're left out because they don't want you there. Soft persecution. And all that live godly, when you put up that name Jesus and that sign, you wear that sign, there will be opposition from this world and this culture. And in America today, there's such a growing hostility to Christianity. And after last Sunday in Orlando, Florida, you can really see the clouds have thickened of persecution to Christian people. Today, there have been, uh, to date, there have been editorials even in prominent magazines and papers and blogs and so on that imply that Christians were partially to blame for what happened in Orlando last week. Now, that is wrong. That was Islam that should be blamed. But it's not being blamed. Somehow or other, this is convoluted and turned around to where somehow the climate in this country created by Christians is partially to blame. And so God gives us here a wonderful four-step process that I hope you will take some notes on and carry with you in the days ahead and in your Bible and in your mind. The four steps he gives us are, number one, He says, as Christians in verse number three, that, and not only so, the verse begins. So he's talked about being justified by faith and the blessings and benefits of being a Christian. And then he says, and not only so, but let me go on. Christians glory in tribulation. Real Christians glory in tribulation or suffering or hardships or the difficulties of life. We glory in them. The word tribulation is really a very interesting word here as used by the Apostle Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The word tribulation comes from a Greek word, and the idea was, the, the, the word really just means pressure. Pressure, he is saying here, worketh uh, or that we glory in pressure. We, we glory in the, the, the stresses that come from the opposition that we have as Christians. We glory in tribulation. A tribulum was an instrument that they used in those days in the Roman Empire, and the tribulum was an instrument where they would take grapes or they would take olives and they would put pressure on them and they would crush the grapes, crush the olives, and the oil or the, or the grape juice would flow out of them down a little chute and into a container. And the tribulum was the instrument that brought the pressure 
that produced the grape or the grape juice or the olive oil. And so the apostle Paul uses that word. The tribulum brings suffering to us, but we glory in it anyhow. And that pressure comes in all kinds of different forms. But it's specifically those extra pressures that we carry as believers because of the opposition of this world. Now, it's an important theme of Scripture. Again, turn with me in your Bible because I'm going to read a number of verses. I'm not going to have you turn to them all, but I'm going to ask you to turn to the first one with me. And it's all the way back in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. I want you to really look at and experience firsthand these Scripture verses. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 10. Again, the words of the Lord Jesus. Blessed are they who are persecuted, not just persecuted, but for righteousness' sake. See, there's our theme. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, blessed are you when men shall revile you, antagonize you, and persecute you, and lie about you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Not because of some provocation that we've done, but because you're a Christian. Rejoice. What is the attitude of the Christian when we face suffering and difficulty? Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Meaning, it's always been so. There's nothing new. Isaiah, the man who... The greatest prophet of the Old Testament, Isaiah. Do you know what happened to Isaiah? A wicked king, Manasseh, came on the throne. And Isaiah stood in his face and preached against him. And do you know what he did? The most horrible death, I guess, in the Old Testament. They put him on a rack, pulled his body taunt, and sawed him in two with a saw. That's how Isaiah died that wrote this wonderful book of Isaiah. And the Christians that were burned and martyred and thrown to the lions, and Hebrews 11 tells about those people. It's always been so. Somber subject, but a subject that, boy, is very, very relevant in terms of where we are in history today. And it goes through the Bible. Just jot these references if you'd like as I go through them. Acts 5 and 41, the apostles were imprisoned for the night, When they let them out, they beat them, and they sent them on their way. And what was their response? Was it, oh, woe is me. How bad is it, oh, God? Why me? Why would you let this happen to me? No, that's not their response. Acts 5 and 41, and they let them go rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. Wow. I am worthy that... The Lord valued me enough and had enough confidence in me. He allowed me to be one of those who suffer for his name. Philippians 1 and 29, Paul writes to the Philippians. He says, for unto you it is given to be able to suffer for Jesus Christ. He acts like it's a gift, a gift to suffer for him. James 1 and 2, count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into trials and temptations. In 1 Peter 4, I I think we'll turn to this one again too. Would you turn over near the end of your Bible? And uh, 1 Peter chapter number 4 
and read a couple more verses with me. Notice in every one of these verses, what is it saying? It's saying rejoice. It's saying it's, it's a blessing to be counted worthy to even suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ. Count it all joy, he says. And we come to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12. Beloved, think it not strange. It's not abnormal when the fiery trial, which is to try you, comes. But rejoice, verse 13 inasmuch as you are the partaker of Christ's sufferings. And when his glory shall be revealed in you, you may be glad with exceeding joy. And if you are reproached, spoken about in a bad way, and people talk about you on Facebook because you said something for Christ, and you're reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you or happy should you be For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Verse 16, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And I could read scripture after scripture after scripture that says, stand up for the Lord. When you do, expect opposition and rejoice. Thank the Lord in it. Don't run from it. Don't be ashamed of it. That's the way it's always been. If you want God's favor, you be true to him. Now, here's the big thing. In American Christianity today, there is a teaching that has absolutely undermined this whole teaching, and it's even been bought into by people sometimes in Baptist churches, unfortunately. It's called prosperity theology. You hear me mention it occasionally, but you may not know exactly what it is. Prosperity theology is a teaching that started up back in the 50s out in Oklahoma by a a Pentecostal evangelist and preacher. It came out of his ministry. And the teaching of, of prosperity theology basically is that if you have enough faith then God is obligated to bless you with wealth, with material things, and to bless you with health. You shouldn't be sick. If you're sick, in fact, it's probably a lack of faith on your part. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't get sick. If you had enough faith, you'd become wealthy. The leaders and teachers who teach this heresy, and it is a heresy. They teach this, and they flaunt their lavish lifestyle themselves. And they live in 12 and 15 and 20 million dollar mansions. They fly around the country on their jets. They vacation on their yachts. And they do it all, drawing money out of primarily television audiences. And I can call their names, but I I don't want to offend somebody. I want to make my point. And they've undermined this teaching. It's almost like if bad things are happening to you, then you must be out of fellowship with the Lord. And And then I go back to my Bible. What does my Bible say? If any man live a godly life, he's going to suffer. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have persecution. So you have to decide if Kenneth Copeland is right or the Bible's right. 
and a whole list of other people there. You have to determine that. You just take your Bible and open it up and read it, and I, I had to say one. I don't want you to think the old man's growing soft here tonight, okay? So you just open up your Bible and be discerning. You just be discerning. But I'm going to tell you what. God's best people sometimes go through horrible sufferings that I can't explain. I can't tell you why it happens. But I can tell you it will happen to some degree in your life, some more than others, if you live for the Lord. Now, the Bible says we glory in those tribulations. What does it mean to glory? It's actually the same word translated in other places as joy or to rejoice. We don't just have a stiff upper lip and say, you know what? I'm going to get through this and not complain, but I am not liking it at all. It's not that. It's not the stiff upper lip of the British. It is a glory in it. Lord, why, I don't know why this is happening to me, but you are so wise, I would never question you. And I accept. I accept it from your hand. Because I understand something, Lord, that this life is nothing but the dressing room where I'm getting ready for eternity. Eternity is the real show. And right now, I'm just getting prepared for it, and you allowed this in my life that I could prepare. We glory in our tribulation. Number two, tribulation works patience. Tribulation works patience. Now, put your little circle around that word patience because you wouldn't say that like that today. So let me define patience for you. It is the ability to endure the ability to endure through tough times. Tribulation brings me to the point that I can endure suffering and I can do it with the right spirit. I can stand when everything else around me, when other people are falling, but I can stand for the Lord. It represents strength of character here. A a young boy had an old horse. It was an old nag. It wasn't worth anything at all. It obviously was worn out and on its last legs. And the man was laughing at him because the boy so loved his little horse and he had it at a show. And the man said to him, son, can that old nag run fast? And the boy looked at the horse and thought a moment. And he said, no, sir, but he can stand fast. And you know what the Lord needs today? He needs some, some of us who will just stand fast. And when the troubles come, instead of capitulating and throwing in the towel and complaining and, and being defeated, he sends these things to strengthen us, to give us the ability to endure in life. You know, I read an interesting article. It was about steel. And I, I don't know how I happened on it, but the story told about how that when they make the steel for the great airliners, for example, the, the steel that supports the wingspan, or when they make the steel that holds up the 100-story skyscraper buildings around the world, that before that steel is ever put into its place, that it's x-rayed and it's tested 
that make absolutely sure there are not any impurities in it or any weak places in it because that steel is going to be so stressed when those hurricane winds blow against the face of that skyscraper. Can you imagine the pressure it's enduring? And you can actually see when you're in the air on one of those giant airliners flying across the ocean, that thing, those wind, it's hitting those air. And you can see those wings moving up and down like that. The stress on that is incredible. And they test the materials. The steel is x-rayed and tested before it ever is put onto the site, whether it be the airplane or whether it be the, 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 the giant skyscraper or whatever usage it might have where it will be so stressed, ships and so on. They know it's not going to fail. And do you know what the Lord says? My child, I need in the long and big scheme of things, I need to test you. I need to build some endurance into you that you will not fail when the problems of life come. In the book of Matthew, chapter 13, it's one of the more famous of all the chapters in the book of Matthew. And the Lord gives this parable, the sower. You know, one sower goes out and he throws the seed and nothing comes up. It's on the road bed and it's too hard. And then he throws this seed out. And here the soil is good soil, but it's full of rocks. And so the, the roots can't grow out and really set themselves for the long haul. And when he interprets the parable in chapter 13 and verse 20, Jesus said, He that received the seed in stony places, the same as he that heareth the word of God, and anon with joy he receiveth it. Yet it doesn't take root, but it endureth for a while. And when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. How many times I've seen that in our church's ministry and in my own personal ministry. Someone hears the word of God, they hear the gospel. My, they're so thrilled, they're so excited about the Lord, what he's doing in their life. The idea that they can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then they are young Christians. They're just going along with life. And then some tragedy comes, death, cancer, bankruptcy, trials. A wife or husband leaves them. Their heart is broken. Their world is shattered. Everything's turned upside down. And you know what? Often they turn their back on the Lord. They're gone. You see, the testing didn't cause them to become an unbeliever. The testing revealed the shallowness and the lack of depth in their life. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket, doesn't it? And so all the testing did was reveal the true state of their heart all along. The tests of life reveal and test and prove the genuineness of my faith. Adrian Rogers said it like this, faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. 
Until you've hit some rough spots in life, you may not really know what you believe. And the testing will tell you, do I really believe? And someone else said that if your faith fizzles at the finish, it was faulty at the first. I like that one. If it fizzles at the finish, then there was something wrong with it all along. And they sung so beautifully a while ago, sometimes it takes a mountain. (laughs) Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes it takes a steep climb, a difficulty, a heartbreak to really find out, well, what do I really think about my faith? And I so love that old song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Do you feel like that this morning, church? I'm not going to turn back. I know opposition lies out there for us. I see it coming in America. Look at the next one. And and patience, experience, he simply says. So we glory in tribulation. Tribulation works patience and patience experience. Now, circle the word experience then. Patience had the idea of being able to endure. Experience has the idea of character, a proven character, trustworthiness. So he says, we glory in tribulation because the pressures produce an ability to endure. They strengthen us for the long term. And then that endurance produces character, trustworthiness, proven character in my life. And just like gold and silver are tried in the fire to purify them, so God in the fire, he purifies mine and your character. Old Job was the great illustration in the Bible, I guess, is Job of the guy who went through all these terrible, terrible things, and it was spiritual. It was persecution in his life. And at the end, you would think he might be broken. At the end, you'd think he might be ready to throw in the towel. You know what Job says? In chapter 23, I think it is. I I can't remember. But he said, when he has tried me, when when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. And he said, though he slay me, Though he slay me, I will trust him. Yet I will trust him. Though he slay me, if I die in this, I'm not going to turn my back on the Lord. The benefit of being a Christian and facing difficulties in your life, and I don't know what you're going through today. It could be many different things. But I'll tell you what it does. It tests and it proves my love for God. Is my faith real? Or did I just have an emotional, psychological type of experience somewhere that I'm depending on? Well, Job said, though he slay me, I will trust him. And you fathers today, listen to me. Think like this. Sometimes your little girl or your little boy, they want to do something and you don't let them do it, or you send something into their life and it makes them angry, or they're unhappy, they start crying, they may throw a a temper tantrum, they may really, you know, just fuss about it. But you know that for the long term, what you're doing for them, though it makes them temporarily unhappy, it's for their long-term gain and benefit. If you know that as an earthly father, don't you think our heavenly father 
looks down at us sometimes and says, listen, I'm going to do something. You're not going to like it. You're going to throw a temper fit. I understand that. But you know what? For the long term, you need what I'm sending into your life. It's not pleasant. It may be chastisement, but you need it. And so tribulation, we glory in our tribulation. Our tribulation produces an ability to endure, and tribulation produces proven character. And then lastly, it produces hope for us. Look there in verse 5 in your Bible. Hope, a confident expectation that God is going to carry out his promises. Hope that never disappoints. Hope that never does make me lose my faith in Christ. The tribulation produces a confident expectation, a firm assurance. God loves me. God cares. His grace is with me. I accept it from his hand. So in the message today, sprinkle through it. I didn't give them to you in order, but I'm going to read them to you very quickly. And uh, I hope that you can remember them. Six great benefits that suffering and hardships give us in our life. Number one, they give us perseverance. The ability to endure in tough times, to be consistent and dependable and faithful and reliable only tests of persecution, trials, heartaches can produce that. Number two, they prove our character. When I go through difficult days, it reveals weaknesses in me. It shows me the weak spots in the steel structure of my life. And so they reveal the areas I need to work on. Number three, trials and testings test the sincerity of my love for God. Again, did I have an emotional, psychological psychological experience? Or do I have a faith that's grounded in the Word of God that will endure forever? Number four, tribulation causes us to realize our need for God's grace. When I'm going through difficult times, I pray, God, I need more grace. I need you to come and show me favor. I need for you to come and strengthen my soul, O Lord. Number five, tribulation teaches me how to know myself. So often I overestimate myself. And I don't think I'm alone in that. And when I'm up against a wall that I can't climb, then God's word speaks to me and God's, and, and, and I understand, hey, Bill, you weren't as good as you thought you were. The old gospel song says, he's still working on me to help me become what I ought to be. And number six, tribulation and problems in life ultimately produces in us a hope that is never disappointed because it causes us to turn our focus upon the Lord Jesus. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.